Good morning and welcome to Formula for Wealth. And my guest today is Teddy Hayes. Now, Teddy is a movie producer, um, theater, scriptwriter, producer, musician, um, author of uh, different types of books. So, Teddy, I'd like to uh, welcome you to Formula for Wealth. Thank you. And would you like to give us a little bit more about what you actually do? Well, I am a writer and a producer and a director, and I've worked in film and in television and in theater. And I've been doing this professionally since 1974. Uh, and I studied at the Cleveland State University where I, I studied and got a, a degree in it. And it was all I ever really wanted to do since I was a child. And I got the opportunity to study. And then over the years, uh, when I was lucky enough to get a good job, I just tried to build on my skill set over the years. So at first I was a writer. Uh, then uh, I became a producer. Mm -hmm. And after that, I became a director. And they all kind of coalesced in, less into one thing. And I started my own company in 1982. And I've been working freelance since then. And I've had quite a number of successes, some failures like everyone else, but hopefully you can learn from the failures and, and, and go forward. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been able to do and I'm still doing it and I'm very thankful that I, I am still doing it. Uh, some of the things I've been able to achieve over the years was quite surprising even to me because as a kid in Cleveland, I think about the most I could visualize was maybe one day I would work in New York perhaps, or maybe even California. But as it turns out, I work not only in New York and California, but also I've worked around the world. And that, that's been really great uh, work. I've done a film in India that, that's quite popular these days. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's because of the streaming. That's all over the world. People are seeing that. I've done work in Brazil. I've done work uh, in, in, in different parts of Europe. So um, I'm, I'm living my dream, I guess. You thought you were you're American, you come from Ohio, but I know that you live in London. What made you move to London? Well, for about maybe 15 years, when I went to New York, I worked for other people. I was what was called a gun for hire. People needed someone with a certain skill set. They would bring me in as a freelancer. I would work, I would do the job. But along the way, I started realizing that the people I was, that I was doing these jobs for, they were getting awards. And, 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 uh, and my name wasn't anywhere on the award. So I said, okay, I, if I can work in help them to get awards, I can probably do it myself. So around that time, I decided that I wanted to be a novelist. And this was around 80, I think about 87. And I wrote my first detective novel because that's what I've always loved. And I couldn't get anywhere trying to sell it. And Around 10 years later, I decided, okay, enough of this already. I'm going to go and 
really strike out on my own and maybe Europe is the place to go. And so I had worked in Europe before, so I decided that I would try my luck. And I came to Europe and things worked out better than I could have ever expected. Um, I got a book company that, that published my books. Funnily enough, after my books were published in London, then everybody in the States want my books. So. That's the way it goes. <laughs> so the States and they're in libraries all over the States. And I just finished yeah. the eighth novel in this detective series that I've been writing for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've been doing that. And uh, the other thing I'm very involved in is theater. Because when I was in New York, I was lucky enough to work for a producer named Melvin Van Peebles, who was very uh, helpful in getting me involved in the theater world and teaching me all different areas of the theater. And I worked on Broadway, off Broadway. And so when I came to London, I was given the opportunity to do a gospel musical in theater. Mm -hmm. and to, to my uh, surprise, this place that they put my theater uh, play on was in a place that I'd never heard of called the Royal Theater Stratford East. <laughs> so I kind of came in at the top of the tree without even knowing it. And uh, the, the, the play got very good reviews. And the interesting thing about plays that I found is that if you have a play that's successful, the play almost never dies because you can bring it back again and again and again. And what happened with this play, we retitled, uh, we renamed it, and we just uh, revived it in 2018. So this is a play that we revived. Again, it got good reviews. And so I'm doing these days a lot, a lot of things in theater. No, I know you got a Grammy nomination. Tell me a little bit about that. That the was very, to it, and <laughs> that was very weird because I was working in California, and I, I met a crazy guy. And oh, I thought it was a crazy guy. He came and saying he knew the president of the United States, and he was going to do this, do that, meet with this person, this famous person, that famous person. As people do in California, you get a lot of this. So I didn't, I didn't see this guy uh, for another year, I guess, because I moved to New York and I just kind of lost touch. One day I'm walking down the street and here comes this guy named Bernie. And I say, okay, here comes crazy Bernie. So <laughs> crazy Bernie is saying, okay, we're going to do this. That. Same thing, same thing. I know this guy, I know that guy, I'm having lunch with Bob Dylan, da, 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 da. So he says he's doing a project called the Drug, Drug King's Last Stand or something, the Dope King's Last Stand. He said, we need a country song. Can you write a country song? I says, yeah, I can write a country song if that's what you need. He says, well, we're going to take this country song down to Johnny Cash. And then... We're going to talk to the president of the United States, and then I'm going to call Muhammad Ali and get him involved. Okay, when a guy talks like this, you say, well, you don't know what he's taking this morning, but it's, it's not a good thing. <laughs> Funnily enough, 
couple of days later, Bertie comes by the office where I'm working. He says, I got the tickets. I said, the tickets for what? He says, the tickets for Nashville. We're going to meet Johnny Cash. I said, really? So we get on the plane. We go down. We meet Johnny Cash. He hears the song, but he doesn't. He said, this is not for me. He says, it's a good project. I think it's a good project. You guys go ahead. Okay, fine. So we come back to New York, and Bernie says, I know what to do. I know what to do. And I didn't, again, I didn't hear from Bernie for about six months. Then I get a package one day in uh, the mail, and I open it, and it's an album called The Dope King's Last Stand. And Bernie, true to his word, he got President Jimmy Carter involved. He got um, Muhammad Ali he got Frank Sinatra. He got Lily Tomlin. All of this record where my song is on. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got nominated for a Grammy for the best uh, spoken word children's album for 1978. Wow. Yeah. It's the power of knowing people, letting the universe work for you. And yes, I think so because. Funnily enough, I never saw Bernie since that time, ever. I don't know where Bernie is. I don't know what happened to Bernie. But I know Bernie just, he came in and did what he said he was going to do. And that was that. Brilliant. Yeah. And I know that you um, received a Lifetime Achievement Award as well. Yes, that was quite a surprise as well. Last year, they, um, the Equal... Uh, magazine, arts magazine, gave me a Lifetime Achievement Award, and we went to Northern Ireland, and it was a great, great experience, and uh, I'll treasure that for all my days, yeah. Well, it's lovely when you're recognized. Basically, yeah. you're being recognized around the globe, aren't you? And this is a surprise, because I didn't, I didn't know that these people knew all this stuff about me, because, to be honest, Karen, I've, had, I've done so many projects. I've probably forgotten at least half of them. Because when you are a freelancer, uh, like I was in New York for many years, you know, it's a job. They come to you and say, okay, you, on Tuesday, where do I have to be? On Thursday, where do I have to be? You go do the job, do the best you can. You get the money, you pay your bills, you're on to the next job. And it's, it's a way to build up your skill set, but oftentimes you don't really record it as to being a success for your career because you're so focused on getting the job done well and then moving on to the next job. I know it's, it's quite funny because, you know, I write books and I, I write um, nonfiction and I'm just working on my 20th or 21st book. And books that I've written, like, well, no, it'd be 17 years ago, people are coming back to me and they're taking a quote out of the book and saying, you said this. And I'm going, oh, did I? When did I actually say that? Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> you, you don't remember it, you just, you know. You, people you, do that with me, with, with my shows, with my songs. They say, remember when you said, in, in this song, you, in this, it's like, what, really? <laughs> you wrote the song, yeah, I know, but that was like 20 years ago. I know. <laughs> But it's good that it has that influence on people. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's great because that's what you really want to do. You want to write and connect with people in a way that resonates, and that's important. Yeah. Um, I know you've worked with um, Quincy Jones. Mm. 
Tell me a little bit about Quincy and the background hmm. to us. Lovely, lovely band and a very bright and, and, and honest and, and, and genuine person. What happened is I was working in Ohio my, when I was still in Ohio and was trying to kind of make my way out of Ohio. Uh, we had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to work with a, a group called the Montgomery County Community Action Agency. And it was a community agency and they, I was the officer, the press officer. And they came by, they said, look, this, we've been given a grant to do a, a, a film. And can anybody do the film? Well, I had filmmaking experience, so I did, did a short film. Uh, the agency liked it very much. They took it to the national organization who said, wow, this is a great film. We'd like to use this for our fundraising activity. And then I became the guy since I wrote, since I produced and directed the film. They said, we want you to find us a fundraising chairman. So, okay. I was lucky enough to get Quincy Jones because I had a buddy who worked for Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones agreed to be our national fundraising I then went out to California in this role to, 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 to work with the organization. And during that period, Quincy Jones and I were talking and uh, he recommended me to get uh, writing for his songbook. He was working with a group called the Brothers Johnson. He says, I need somebody to write the prose for this book and uh, would you like to do it? I did it, he was happy with it. And then he recommended me for another job to a friend of his called Pete Long, who was doing something on stage. And I had never written for stage before, but Quincy uh, thought I could do it. And uh, I did, and it was a success. And it was a great success, not only for, for the organization, but also for me, because it was the first time that I had written something where I knew that I connected with the people in the audience. And I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday, really. Uh, I'd never been to any of the rehearsals, so I, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, the guys just called me and said, look, we want you to come and uh, see what you've done, and here's the ticket. Here's the day, here's the ticket, okay. I go, I stand in the back of the theater. I don't think I even had a seat. I was just standing up in the back of the theater, you know, very tense and saying, oh God, I hope the stuff, they, I hope, you know, that they use the words in the right way and the people like that. And to my surprise, where people were supposed to laugh, they laughed. Where people were supposed to go, ah, oh, they went, ah. Oh. I said, oh, wow, I can connect. And that was a great moment because it was a very special moment for me because I, I didn't know that I could, do that. I didn't know that my skill level was at that point. And I always have to credit Quincy Jones with giving me that opportunity. And Quincy also said something to me that I'll never forget. He says, when you're working, he says, never try to get over. He said, always try to get better. And I just kind of took that with me. And I've kept that for all these years is, is, a, is a, a mantra to think about when I'm doing something. Time so I know that you write music mm -hmm. and you've been doing the shows, um, the theatre shows. What's, a, what's a little bit of a process that you go through when you're sort of creating a show and then needing the music to go with it? Well, it's, it's a process I guess I've developed over the years. 
I write music, but these days, I guess for the past 10, 15 years, I usually only write music in relationship to my shows. Why? I don't know. I mean, I can sit down at the piano and, and, and come up with a song. That's not a problem. But I find if I'm working on a show, then I can do the music and embody the song within the character or the story. And that just comes very naturally to me. So the process I, I work through is one, it, it has no rhyme or reason. It, it just kind of is there. Oftentimes I'll come up with a song that reminds me of a character or sometimes I'll see a story and part of the story I said, this is a situation that needs to be told in a song. And I'll approach the song from that point of view. For instance, I just finished a musical called Something Kind of Country, and it was a country, it's a country music musical. Mm -hmm. And uh, strangely enough, I'm standing up and one day in the kitchen and I get this idea for a song. And I said, oh yeah, that's okay. And so I went up and I got my keyboard out and I wrote the song. Then I got an idea for another song. And by the time I got the idea for about the fifth song, they were all connected. I said, okay, this, this could be a musical. And then I started building the story around the songs that I had written. And I finished the story, then I finished the songs. And now uh, I have 12 songs and a new musical. And that's the way that happened. Another musical I did was called The Baskerville Beast based on uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles. I contracted chickenpox probably in 2003, and it was not a pretty sight. <laughs> difficult, much really difficult when you're much older like as well. Now I had to, I was quarantined. I, I couldn't leave the house, and I was watching The Hound of the Baskervilles on television, and there was a scene I hadn't seen before, and I got the idea for a song. I went upstairs, got my keyboard, I wrote the song. And two weeks later, I had an original score and a screenplay. So that's the way those things happen. I, I, I wish I could say ABC, but it, it doesn't work like that for me. It, it kind of comes from, I guess my muse says, this is what this needs to be about. And because I've worked in it for so long and I have the skill set, I don't really struggle with it at all mm. anymore. I don't have to think about, oh, well, if this is, I know when it's right. If it's not right, I won't go down that road, but if it's right, I'll know it. And that's just the way it's been, I guess, for about 20 years now, because I started pretty young when I was, music when I was about seven or eight. So my musical, uh, intuition is, is pretty good, I think. And, and the other thing is I don't try to emulate anyone else. I just do what I do. Because I always feel that people like it, then they like what I'm doing, not me trying to be like someone else. And so I think that's another reason why uh, my system works for me, because I don't try to uh, copy anybody else. I just do what I do. And uh, that's it. I know when you do the shows, you'll obviously have your songs that the 
audience sings. But you were telling me the other day that you had someone recording the country songs. Is that yeah. like an is that like an album or something that goes with it, or is it? Yes, there'll, there'll be a country music soundtrack album. And, yeah. and the process that I use is I, I, I do the basic song myself on my piano and with the piano and voice. Then I take it to my musical arranger, Chris Jerome, who I've been, work, who I've been working with for 20 years. And he's, he's, he's a demon. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a demon maniac on the piano. You, you, you play a chord and you say, okay, this is what I want. He says, okay, great. And I can make it sound like this. Because he's a jazz, he's a jazz player. And so we work together. We've been working together for 20 years now. And we work very easily together because the ideas I have, he embellishes on and the ideas he has, I can embellish on. So he's my musical director. And after we do that, we record it in his little studio. And amazingly, we, we well, this country album, I think we did like 10 songs in about six hours because just piano and voice and, and that kind of stuff, because we're just so fluid in working with each other. We say, okay, we, 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 I said, I need to get this whole thing done. He said, okay, come over and we'll do it. And we did it. And, uh, but this is probably the fifth musical we've done together. So we, we, we know pretty much how each other work. And uh, so after we do that, then I took it to a band called the Allen Family. It's a country music band in another studio. And then we recorded all the country music from the Allen Family country band. And we got the basis for all the songs in the play. Now, when we go to the next stage, we'll have to do some more orchestrations because we'll have to do dance numbers, we'll have to do other drop-ins, we'll have to do all kinds of things. But when you create a play, it's always a step-by-step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step process. And that's why creating a musical can take maybe four or five years because there's a lot, a lot of steps involved that people probably don't think about. So from what, you're, what you've just said, you get the idea for the, the music, you write the music, you take it to, sorry, I'm not very good with names, but you take it to the guy that does the, my Christian, you take it to Christian and he does that. You, you've got a um, group to actually record it. Mm -hmm. Then do you actually have in your mind, like when you next get to writing the script to go around it, do you have in your mind how you imagine it being on stage? Yes, you do. You have in your mind, but that's a tricky part because if I were directing it, then I would say, okay, I got all my actors together. Here's the script. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. So then you create that vision on stage that you have in your mind. Mm -hmm. That's one way of doing it. If I were directing it, if I wasn't directing it, I would then work with a director who would say to me, hmm, well, here's this script, the way it's written. What about if we did it like this? Now this becomes very interesting because sometimes you can work with a director 
who can bring your work to life in a way that you've never imagined. It's wonderful. And I have had that experience where I've worked with uh, directors like Peter Gordino, who worked on The Baskerville Beast. Peter was a, never directed before, but he was a great choreographer. So he did things that I could not have even imagined. On the other hand, <laughs> I worked with people who would look at something and had no idea or understanding what this was about. So they would not bring anything to it. In fact, they would take away from it. And so I've had that experience too. So choosing a director is very, very important for a play. Uh, you have to have kind of a artistic vision that melds with the director if you're using an outside director. Yeah. I know, it's, it's fascinating to me. I just... Um, well, it, it's, 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 not a fascinating, a... it's fascinating to me, and, and I've been in it for, for 40 years, but it's still a really interesting process because you're dealing with people's talent and people's personalities. For instance, there's one guy who... He's very, very talented that I've worked with before. But if you say, go, this needs to be left, he'll say, right. And you'll say, well, why right? And he says, well, I just think it should be right. And there's no reason. And he's yeah. very talented. So you have, to, you have to make decisions. Well, do I want to work with this guy? Because it's going to be a lot of trouble for me. Because as a producer, the thing you don't want is trouble. You want things to go as smoothly as possible because basically what you're doing is you're representing uh, the investor who puts the money into the show to make the show happen successfully. So if there's a lot of problems, then the show doesn't go smoothly. And so you're not really maximizing uh, the, you know, what, the, what the investment is about, which is making something happen positively. So that's why you have to be very careful when you get involved with directors in the show but like i said if you get the right director it's magic yeah. you you just and i've had more good directors than i've had bad directors but it's the bad directors that, that you learn from you say <laughs> i won't i won't do that again but those are the lessons that you get in life regardless those, of what you do it's and the, yeah and that's where experience comes in being a producer uh you know what to look out for yeah and you start to see the signs early. And that's why if you can, for me, in my case, if you can build a team around you that you use again and again and again, that you can depend on, that's a good thing. But if you look in other areas, I mean, Steven Spielberg does the same thing. He works with the same people. He's been working with them for 30 years because he knows he can depend on those people and those people will deliver. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's the same way. He, he works with people he knows that will deliver for him. And that's what I try to do as well. Well, it's the synergy, isn't it, that yes. brings the best out in everybody and everybody knows, okay, I trust this, I trust that, and it all works together for you. Yeah, and you know that they're going to bring something that's credible, not something out of their ego, but something that's going to help uh, the work. They're not thinking about their ego so much as to how to make the work better. So the next layer then, so we have the layer of you've created the song, you've done this the, um, the script, the play, you brought in your director for it. Um, how do you, what's your next process in actually putting the show together? Well, you, you get the money for it. That's what you need to do. <laughs> you 
need to get the money uh, from the investors and you go and you start the process of putting it on and developing it because theater is a very interesting um, thing in that it doesn't happen all at one time. You get it up, you see it, you say, okay, I need to change this, I need to change this, I need to change this. And that's the way it is with every show because the shows kind of evolve organically because you may see something that's great and you say, well, we need to change this just a bit. Or you may see something and you say, well, you know, I thought that will work, but it just doesn't work. Or you could have something and you could say, well, I, I'm really not sure about that. Then someone comes in, maybe a director, and says, well, look, what if we did it like this? And then you go like, wow. And that's happened to me. Uh, we had a, a number in uh, the Baskerville Beast. It ended the first act. And that was an okay song, but it just, just wasn't working. And the director said to me, he says, Teddy, he says, this song doesn't work. He says, you got to get something else. And I'm, your first instinct is, what do you mean the song doesn't work? I mean, it should work. You can make it work. That's, yeah. that's your first instinct, right? Yeah. But if you have confidence in your director, you say, okay, let me see what he's thinking about. So I went back and that night I wrote another song and it worked. And it was turned out to be the strongest song in the show because I trusted the director. I knew what he was doing. I knew what he was looking for. I listened and I had faith in him and, and it worked. So that was, that was it. Yeah. So once you've got it all together, the show, do you have to pitch to a theater to well, actually that, take it or do you just go you to a theater and book it? If you have enough money, you just go and you hire the theater. And that's right. theoretically what you want to do. You want to hire the theater. You want to do a run. You want to get the reviews out. And then you want to show it to other bigger producers and take it to a higher level. And because theater is such a big business, you can have a theater that takes your work and in a small, small theater, bigger theater, it could be in outside theater, inside theater. Uh, you could have it done different ways in different theaters. So it's very flexible. And uh, that's also the great thing about theater because it's so flexible, it has a very long life. And people don't realize that, for instance, Hello Dolly started in the 1950s. People who've invested in that are still making money from Hello Dolly. Yes, 1950s, yeah. Well, West Side Story in 1960s, no, 57, I think it was, it came out. They're still making money from it because it works. And even when a little school does West Side Story, they have to pay. Yeah. They have to pay because a play is very interesting in that it is an intellectual property. And the person, in this case, my company who has the rights owns the play for my lifetime plus 70 years. Mm. So that's when it goes into public domain. But Remember, let's, let's say I live for another 20 years, then, then there's another 70 years on top of that. That's 90 years that someone can make income from, from an intellectual property. And 
that 90 years goes probably beyond their lifetime into another lifetime and maybe into their grandchildren's lifetime. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the thing. Um, for instance, um, the mousetrap, which has been running on in the West End for about 50 years, one of the right. things, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, why? Nobody knows, but that's the way it plays. I think it had been going about 30 years when I went to see it. Yes, it, it, <laughs> that was years, years ago. And the funny thing is, Agatha Christie said, oh, well, maybe it'll go a couple years. I'll be, I'll be happy <laughs> if it goes a couple years. Who knew? Yes. So anyway, I think what they did is one of her nephews, they, for his birthday, they, they gave him the rights to, to, to that, to that play, the royalties from that play. So he'll never have to worry, so. Which is all leading up to your investment company. Yes. Right? And for our listeners, there is an opportunity to actually invest in your company. Yes. Right? Well, we have. And, sorry, I'm just gonna say, I'm, I'm putting a group of investors together with the aim of investing in your company. So we've already talked about how um, the investment is a lifetime investment so that uh, you'll get return, well, you should get returns to be profitable. But, uh, we've talked about the country show, but you have a lot of other shows that are part of that company. Yes, we have. The Basketball Beast, which I mentioned. We also have a show called The Holding Pin, which is about a musical about five women in prison that we put up and it got good reviews. And also we have a, a gospel show called Renew Your Hallelujah. And the reason we've done these shows specifically is because over the years I learned if you have a show that has a specific audience it's easier to market directly to that audience for instance if we have a country music show well there's a country music audience we can go directly to that audience we can market directly to that audience and then it can it has a good place to start and then it can branch out but if you have to kind of do the shotgun approach then that's a bit harder so we try to pick shows that has a designated audience for instance with the holding pin we know we can focus on women and because we're dealing with women issues and so we can focus on women women's issues and that will spread out with the gospel show we can also focus on people who like gospel music choir singing because of, there's a big choir involved so we know we can focus on that and then start there and branch out. And so far the, the strategy has been successful. And that's the reason we choose the plays we're doing. For instance, with the Basketball Beast, I thought long and hard, okay, how do you market this? Well, in England and most countries, uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles is on the reading list for most schools. This is one of the things that you have to read. So children know about it. They know about the story. Sherlock Holmes's uh, films are on all the time. So that's reinforcement. So when they go to see that, they go, oh yeah, I know that. And people tend to like uh, those classic stories and this is one of them. And, I, and uh, so 
that that's where we are with this. So your company uh, is producing the shows, which has a massive range because we, we're already talking about we we're attracting who done it fans. We're attracting women in the Golden Pen. You've got um, country and western in there. You've got gospel music. They're themes that will go worldwide, basically. Yes. You'll be and able to put those shows, take them on the road. Yes, definitely. And people don't understand that sometimes you can make a lot more money on the road than you can in one, one venue. Because if you're traveling on the road, uh, people will come and see it because let's say you have someone in Australia and um, they heard about a show in, in, in Britain. Well, they're not going to come to Britain most of the time. But if you can have that same show in Australia, they'll come to see it. And that's what yeah. uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber did with Cats. He was very instrumental in cloning a show. You clone the show so you make the very same show that you have in London. You take it and put it on the road. And that's why Hamilton was such a success. The same show that you, you saw on Broadway, you saw in the West End, and you also saw in New Zealand, or you also saw in Chicago, because they, Andrew Lloyd Webber came up with the idea of cloning a show using the same sets, the same director, so you get the same show that you get all over the world. And that has brought revenues up tremendously. And I remember like um, Phantom of the Opera, I mean, I was living in New Zealand when that came out. It wasn't actually in New Zealand that they were airplanes just flying over to Australia just for Phantom of the Opera. Yes, it it yes, was a yes. phenomenal success. And that was a global, it even went on to become a movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing about movies now, if a play is seen as a movie, it actually creates an aftermarket for the live performance. Yeah. Why that works like that, I, I'm not sure people have figured it out, but they know it works. For instance, West Side Story became a movie. A lot of people saw the movie, so when they bring it back as a play, more people go to see the play. Yeah. So that, that it, it has that effect. And also, and if you don't, now we happen to be in the, the COVID-19 uh, phase, and right now what is happening is a lot of companies, including Andrew Lloyd Webber, they're showing their, 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 their streaming their shows for free because it creates a market in the future for the live performances. And the other thing is um, there has been quite a revival of taking shows and turning them into movies. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking of, um, oh, it escapes my mind at the moment, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yes, got a, an Oscar for I can't think of the name of the show that Sweeney she was Todd? in. Was it Sweeney Todd? No, that's one that came. That was um, Johnny Depp that was in that one, wasn't yes. it? Um, I, I yeah, it just escapes me at the moment. The um, Catherine Zeta Jones one. It was Catherine Zeta Jones and Remy Degler, I think. Hmm. I don't. I can't call to my right away. Chicago. Chicago? Maybe, maybe, maybe Chicago, yeah. Something like that, yeah. But, but 
point I'm trying to lead to is that investing in your company, the in the uh, flow-on effect, if you like, the opportunities that are available around it is not just putting the show on. That's right. I mean, the other thing we, we, we always think about with, this, with, with our shows is let's say we put the Baskerville Beast out and it's successful. Then we get a big producer says, okay, we want to take this to a, a, another level. Then what we do is we fold that investment right into the bigger company. So you'll have, a, the investor will have, still have a piece of that investment. He'll have a smaller piece of a much bigger pie. Hmm. So that investment goes on and can make a lot of money. So, Yeah, and like you said, the term of the investment could be beyond even your lifetime. Not, oh, sorry, not your lifetime, but the lifetime of the investor. Absolutely, absolutely. And a lot of people, that's why they get into shows because they're saying, okay, this is something that my children and my grandchildren can benefit from. And if it goes um, well, then who knows how much, how much uh, income can be generated. Yeah. So um, I know that with the country show, you talking about it going to the southern hemisphere next year is it yes i was in new zealand and i and i showed it to some people and they liked it very much so next year it's it's planned to go to the new zealand country musical uh capital called gore in the southern part of new zealand near invercargill and we're we're talking about that now and um then we're also talking to people in ireland who seem to like it and we may be uh, taking it to Ireland. So it, 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 it has a start even before it's come out the gate. People are interested in these, this kind of show. And again, country music has a designated audience all over Europe, especially in the US, yeah. South America. So it's, it, it, and if you got a designated audience, that's good because people will like these shows. I mean, for instance, if you do, let's say, uh, I'm just giving you a, uh, off the top of my head. Let's say you have a country music musical. Okay. Where are you going to market this? Well, right off the top of my head, I have two places that I would market straight away. Rodeos and country music concerts. That's what the market is. So you could go to the guy who's doing the rodeo and say, look, um, do, do a giveaway, you know, or three pairs of tickets, four pairs of tickets, whatever. Go to the country music um, concert, country music radio stations. All of that is possible when you have a designated audience. And we talked... Um a little while ago about the gospel music yes. and the, the possible audience that you've got um, phenomenal around uh, America for that. And England, for example, when we did it in Off West End in, in, in uh, 2018, our biggest amount of sales came from the gospel radio station in London. 
we went we went on we did an interview we gave some tickets and people just started pouring in so we filled the seats got okay. good reviews and and and, and so in America, it's, it's phenomenal because the way we would do it there is we're working with churches directly, especially in a place called the Bible Belt. And what happens is that I had a meeting there last year and I was talking in Atlanta with some people from various churches. And these people have drama ministries, which is which was something new to me. So they actually have drama departments within the church. So the plan in Atlanta was to try to get a few of these people working together and to support the play that we were planning to bring to Atlanta, which will probably be next year now because of the, of the COVID-19. We have these things already started on the road. So. And we, we've touched briefly like on with schools as well. Yes. in that um, I know when my daughter was at school, they would put a play on and she would say to me, we can, the school can only afford to pay for this, so we can only put this school, this musical on. Mm -hmm. So it is another revenue and lots of schools do their annual or six monthly show that they yes. do. And, uh, exactly. And, th and think of all the schools. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the other thing is that, that like the Basketball Beast, it's really a family show. Uh, the, you know, and, and, and it's that kind of show. The Gospel Show is really a family show. Um, the, you know, and, and so these are shows that we know we can get an audience for. The Country Music Show is, is very much a family show. So we know we can get people there. And, and, and these are good shows. We, we feel that people will like them. They'll take something home. Uh, with them in in a positive way, and and that's what shows about. You know, people like to have a good time. That's what they're coming out for to be entertained, and that's what we try to do. Right. So um, the investment opportunity is for a share in the company, and if anybody would like any information on the investment, there will be a link that is put at the back of the. A video. There will also be a link in the description, so you can uh, contact me. I will also put Peggy's um, details in there, so if they want to contact, you put that's uh, a link I can put in there for you. And it is an amazing opportunity because how often do you have the opportunity to have an investment that will produce an income over and over and over for years and years to come? So, Teddy, I would like to thank you for being here today. Thank you, Karen. It's an honor. My pleasure to have you on board. And for our audience, we've talked a lot about music. We've talked about um, Teddy's life. Teddy has had a life of investing. And investments are about business. It, business is the key to building an investment. So even though we've talked about music and shows, the investment opportunities are phenomenal in those industries. So Teddy, thank you very much for being on here. Thank you, Karen. And uh, we 
Well, hopefully, chat to you again sometime, I hope. Looking forward to it.